Hi everybody, just to let you know we've got a very special guest on the podcast today to replace Dan Schreiber who has momentarily disappeared and that guest is the fantastic Steve Mould, very much friend of the podcast, friend of QI, actually I think has made an appearance on QI, he's science presenter and communicator extraordinaire, he's one third of the brilliant troupe Festival of the Spoken Nerd, please do check out his work, go to his YouTube page, it's full of amazing, mind-blowing, bizarre, extraordinary science videos. It really is a great place to hang out online and definitely listen to the Festival of Spoken Nerds podcast, which is called A Podcast of Unnecessary Detail, where they take subjects you might think are boring if you're a fool and show you that they are, of course, fascinating. It really is worth a listen and we had a great time having him on the show. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and I'm joined this week by James Harkin, Anna Tajinsky and it's our very special guest, Steve Mould. We have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one and that is Steve. My fact is that protons taste sour. Mm. How do you like? You can't get the cutlery small enough for that. <laughs> How do you taste a proton? So actually, every time you taste something sour, you're tasting protons. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a is that a different fact or the same fact? I would say it's the same fact. Isn't so, that, Steve, doesn't everything have protons in it? Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, free protons. Everything's got oh. protons on their own. Oh. So you know you have uh, five taste senses on your tongue. Sweet, mm. sour, salt, bitter, and umami. Mm-hmm. Mm. And your sour taste, it just works in a completely different way. So like your sweetness taste, it's the old lock and key thing. You've probably heard it a thousand times in biology. So just, just in case I've forgotten <laughs> literally everything <laughs> okay. I learned. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got these gustatory cells on your tongue. And on the surface of those cells, you have these big molecules, complicated shapes. Uh, they're proteins with a complicated shape and that's the lock in this analogy and there's one molecule that fits perfectly that's the key and in the case of your sweetness receptors it's the sugar molecule it's glucose that fits perfectly okay and when they combine in that way it causes some chemical reaction to occur inside the cell and that leads to a signal going to your brain and you experience that as something sweet in your mouth nice Mm -hmm. right lovely But when you taste something sour, it's because you're tasting something acidic. So sour is just your like acidity detecting Mm. mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. And something is acidic if it has a high concentration of hydrogen ions. Okay. Okay. And if we we forgot all of our chemistry, (laughs) can we get onto physics actually? I feel much safer ground there. Um, Can we get onto literature? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well. Andrew, so yeah. I mean, so what is, what is hydrogen? You can you can tell me what hydrogen is. Hydrogen is, yeah, it's an element uh, of the periodic table. Very early on, it's it element is, number one. It's the earliest yeah. one. So what's it made of then? Hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's inside? Atom, atom. Uh, is it uh, so? It's, it's made of an atom. So the, the molecule of hydrogen is one. Um, it's the central bit. God, what, do you know what? I'm sorry. What's the fact about Andy? What's the fact about? You know, it's well. a neutron. It's a neutron. And no, an electron. I think it doesn't have a neutron. Isn't it the one without <laughs> it a neutron? It doesn't yeah. have a neutron. Oh, yeah. God, does every other mo- molecule in reality have a neutron? <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got bad news for you, Andy. You're currently naked, but the good news is you're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a proton with an electron orbiting around it, and that means it's neutral. It's balanced. Yes. Yeah, that's so an it's not atom. A char- it's not a charged it's particle. Hey, what's another word for that? Uh, what, a charged particle? Uh-huh. It's called an ion, isn't it? Oh, That's right. There we go. Oh, my there God, we, we go. just mentioned ions before. That was like the... <laughs> that was like the is, is this your card, sir? <laughs> <laughs> so to turn a hydrogen atom into a hydrogen ion, yeah. you strip away the electron. Okay, leaving just the proton. That's right. So, so a hydrogen ion really is just a proton. And that tastes sour. And that tastes sour. So when you're tasting an acid is because you're tasting protons in 
the liquid or in the food Amazing. or whatever. And so wow. these gustatory cells, instead of having like some complicated molecule lock and key thing going on, yeah. it's just a hole. And it's a special kind of hole in the cell that accepts <laughs> protons. It's got a proton channel. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So bizarre. Wait, so, so, it's, so it's not a special shape. It's not one of those like when, you ha- when you're a kid and you fit bricks into holes. It's not that perfect no. shape. It's just a big cavern what and it been? accepts yeah. protons. It sounds right. like my tongue is like <laughs> something from Back to the Future, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. This is like taking protons. And, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. How? Okay. So a few. Qu- right. So a few questions. Do electrons taste the opposite as in do we know what electrons taste oh. like or do we have a receptor that reacts to that if an electron falls into this hole <laughs> well electrons wouldn't Another fall question. into the hole no oh yeah interesting oh. that's your answer Andy, I, think, I don't think we have there. receptors for electrons to my knowledge so we, I don't they wouldn't believe necessarily we taste of anything so we wouldn't taste of anything yeah. okay. unless you like put some jam on them <laughs> <laughs> okay question number two follow up question number two uh-huh. what is the smallest number of protons that we would be able to taste because obviously oh, they're tiny. That's a great question. Yeah. Would you, would you have really to have five hundred billion? If you just licked one hydrogen <laughs> ion, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to taste anything. Exactly. Yeah. So what happens is the concentration of protons in the cell okay. builds up until it reaches some limit, and then it sends an electric signal to your brain. Okay. So I don't clever. know what that limit is. Okay. No further questions. <laughs> <laughs> what I find really interesting about this, I was reading, is that possibly sourness might be the earliest taste that any animal had. Mm. And the reason being that animals are living in the deep ocean and the danger in the deep ocean might be acidic stuff coming up and you yeah. want to get away from the acid. And so perhaps wow. that we learned how to taste this sourness before we learned anything else because it would stop us from getting fried by the acid. Nice. That's so That's cool. Great. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Actually, yeah. the way I like to think about taste is those five taste senses that we have on our tongues, you can think about them as chemical detecting mechanisms that we've evolved mm. for survival. So like sugar is really important because it's a source of energy. So it makes sense that we would evolve the ability to detect that. Bitterness is your poison detecting mechanism. And actually there's a few different receptors for that because there are a few different poisons that we can detect. What's really interesting about the bitterness receptor is that it's really in flux in like an evolutionary point of view because we're in an arms race with plants. Like plants don't want to be eaten, except for fruit. You know, they don't want to be eaten. And obviously anthropomorphizing the plant. We're allowed to anthropomorphize. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. God. Thank God. I draw faces on all my plants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so plants are producing poisons to stop us from eating plants. But then some plants are producing molecules that interact with our poison receptors, poison detecting receptors on our tongues. They're not actually poisonous but we react to them and decide not to eat them because they taste bitter. Wow. Whereas with sourness, you like it naturally from birth. I mean, no one yeah. likes sour sweets more than kids. And mm. yet sourness in a way denotes something's gone bad. Like if milk yeah. goes sour, that's bad mm. and that's disgusting to us. But then if certain fruits are sour, then that's really good and it actually can show that mm. they haven't gone rotten yet. Yes, that's, yeah, I love yeah. that. So it's, it's the sign of that there's a particular kind of acid there. Is it citric acid mm-hmm. provides the sour flavor in fruits and actually those various acids acids prevent really harmful bacteria from growing meaning that you know lots of primates will enjoy fruit that's slightly spoiled because it means that it's Mm. it's safer that's why um orange juice tastes bad after you've cleaned your teeth because toothpaste tends to have sodium lauryl sulfate in it that binds to the sweetness receptors in your mouth and stops them from working. So when you have orange juice, then you can't taste the sweetness of the orange juice. You can only taste the bitterness and the sourness, and that's not so nice. I did not know that. Interesting. Mm. On um, sourness and children and stuff, Mm. um, those sour candies you can get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, They're basically, they're sweet um, candies, but then they put some acids on the outside. So they put like citric acid, tartaric acid, fumaric acid on the outside. Uh, And they also have malic acid which they put inside palm oil which means it's like a slow release so it kind of very mm. slowly comes out so the sourness kind of stays in your mouth for longer and longer mm. um, but the interesting thing about those candies is something called sour patch kid you know that i love sour yeah. patch kids you love sour patch I kids i've got a lot now, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay so the sour patch kid is also a medical term um can you, <laughs> can you guess what and the medical procedure is that is known as the Sour Patch Kid. 
Is it um, you? Co- I do know this one. You coat the child in sugar, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, you remove their appendix. <laughs> it's kind of close. So the kid is sour. The kid has gone sour, so the kid is covered in some kind of acid. You put, you put one of those sour Astro belts, like a patch, on a oh, blister yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And it um, it no. cures it. We a can wart do this. We can do this. On a wart. I do. No, you can't do this. I mean, oh, you're not going to get okay. this in a million years. It? It's it? prolapsed anuses. So oh God! <laughs> wow. I see. I think that might be something to do with what they look like. I don't think I've ever. Had... So I've eaten quite a lot of sour patch kids sweets in my time. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever come across what? one. That's because... <laughs> what they've all. You're not saying there's a team of surgeons in the South Patch Kids factory basically <laughs> pushing back in it's just a nickname basically what happens is um, if you have a prolapsed anus yes. sometimes um, to get it back in mm. your basically your intestines have come out of your rectum yeah, yeah, yeah. so to get it back in you need it to shrink and one of the ways to do that is to remove some of the water from it. Mm. And one of the ways that they do that is to sprinkle some sugar on, <laughs> no, on the prolapsed anus. And you put the sugar on and it kind of goes down slightly and then you give it a little prod and it goes back inside. Uh, and the technique is sometimes known as the sour patch kid or otherwise sugaring the rim. That's that, that I believe is in Mary Poppins. It was in the first half. It was a spoonful of sugar helps the prolapsed anus go down. Go the, back in. The, yes, go yeah. back in. Yeah, yeah. Why is it called sour when it's putting sugar in it? I Do think, they pour acid down afterwards? I think I don't know what sour patch kids look like. They, they they're not relevant to this. <laughs> I, uh, Would it work as a home remedy if you got a sour patch kid this and used is it Medical this? professionals do this. They're so coated in sugar. They'll I mean, do it at they're home. Coated in yeah, sugar. Yeah. They're coated and they've you know especially at the end of the packet there's that kind of dusting fine yeah, dusting yeah. that's fallen off the original mm. sweets and that's that's obviously the best bit. Because they're quite glutinous, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, some of them red in colour. Some of them red. It, could it be uh, what oh, they look like a bit like a sour patch kid? I, that, do, do you know I what? Put, um, for the benefit of my future enjoyment of South Park kids, uh, maybe we could draw a line on this. That's a bit. Have you have you guys heard of Eli Mechnikov? You might well have done actually. So he was Eli a, a famous. Uh, he was a Russian biologist uh, in the early twentieth century. He was he was working, and he effectively launched the yogurt craze in Western Europe. Oh, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is on soundness. So he was especially interested in aging and the science of aging and, and also in the, the gut and, and, and digestion. And in 1904, he was in Paris and he delivered a lecture uh, claiming that aging was partly caused by harmful bacteria in the gut and that you also had to eat foods like yogurt yeah, to cultivate yeah. mm. those friendly bacteria, beneficial bacteria. Mm. And he suggested that sour milk... Um, Fail, didn't spoil because of that lactic acid in it mm. so it sort of kills off the you know the really ro- the rottenness germs and he said hypothetically maybe if that's happening in the lab to sour milk the microbes might stop internal putrefaction in you and prevent aging mm. and this turned into a huge thing in paris like there was this mad yogurt rush basically <laughs> yeah, really. where people were rushing to shops and queuing up and saying yogurt is the thing that's going to keep when was this, did you young. say? This was 1904. Oh, wow. And he, he slightly clarified the next year. Look, yogurt is not the elixir of youth, but it was too late by that point, basically. <laughs> kind of, the press had, Everyone know, the, in Paris was covering themselves <laughs> in yogurt. <laughs> the great yogurting of 1905. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and then John Harvey Kellogg, who, you know, the very famous dietitian. Oh, God, and, anything he latches onto, you know, it's going to go a bit weird. He started feeding each of his patients a pint of yogurt. And right. I appreciate that's a useless... Uh, which, I don't know I what time reading, period. There was but, like a huge craze, wasn't there? And I think... Like, like one petty faloo went for two hundred thousand euros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was the yogurt bubble. Tunis. Yeah, the yogurt bubble burst. Uh, everyone was coated in the yogurt again. The bubble burst. Yeah, nightmare. Well, one other thing Got to it. say. Um, oh, yeah. So, like sweeteners, artificial sweeteners are tricking your sweetness receptors into thinking you're, you've got sugar in your mouth when uh, you yeah. haven't. Yeah. And there are examples in nature of plants that have done that. So there's a berry in West Africa that has evolved the ability to make this molecule that binds really strongly to the sweetness receptors of primates. And they, they bind so strongly to those sweetness receptors that they only have to make a few of them. They don't have to mm-hmm. spend loads of energy making loads of glucose molecules. They just make a few of these trick molecules mm. and all these primates are going mad for these berries they're running around eating them and they're getting no benefit from it there's no energy content in it but they're still going around then pooing out the seeds so the oh, berries get the benefit right. of having their seeds dispersed but the primates don't get any benefit from it and there's one gorilla that has evolved <laughs> a slightly different sweetness receptor that isn't tricked by the berries molecule yeah. and so 
they do a lot better because they're not running around chasing these berries anymore. Are they miracle berries? Are they? Is that what they're called? Miracle berries? No, or miracle berries different? is something different. Actually, oh. miracle berries is something that binds to your sweetness receptor, but it, in an inactive way, it doesn't do anything. But then, when you introduce an acid, it activates the molecule in such a way that it then stimulates your sweetness receptor. So you suck on a miracle berry, nothing happens, right? And then you drink something sour and it tastes uh, sweet because that okay. molecule then turns into something that can stimulate or sweetness. Got it. Like so that old I... rumor about ouzo, where if you drunk ouzo and then <laughs> the next day you drunk water, then it would reactivate the ouzo and get you oh, drunk wow. again. Is that a thing? Yeah. yeah Hang on. Not a true well, thing. If I, had a, if I had a miracle berry, yeah. Then, yeah. I, then I brush my teeth. <laughs> then I had some orange juice. <laughs> Could I make the orange juice taste sweet? You're a true scientist, Ooh. Andy. I would say with <laughs> questions you. like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that fans of Indiana Jones guessed details of the fourth film's plot before it was released from the expressions on the faces of the tie-in Lego characters. <laughs> Were they expressions like, oh, this is going to be shit? <laughs> oh, where's my agent when you need him? You know? um, so this is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is the yeah. fourth Indiana Jones film, released in 2008. I saw it at midnight in the cinema on the first night. And Good on you. Yeah. You had all the figurines already, didn't you? <laughs> so I, knew, I knew the whole lot, basically. Um, anyway, there were these Lego figures released, and um, th- there were these little translucent skeletons, and basically fans worked out, oh, there's an alien plot in the film, which there is, because uh. of the nature of the little translucent wow, Lego skeletons. Funny. And they also worked out that Kate Blanchett was a baddie. And again, sorry, spoilers. Did she like have like a sad, <laughs> like an angry face? Yeah, she's fr- yeah. The, the Lego figurine is frowning really? and they released yeah. the merch before the film came out. So That's fans clever. are able to work it out. And as a result, the film was not well received. It was solely because of this <laughs> Lego thing. Um, I think on your head bit as a fan, if you're overanalyzing the Lego to that extent, then <laughs> Well, you this is the thing, that. like lots of, yeah, exactly. Like, if you're a real fan, I mean, they make the merch way in advance, don't they? I have to sign it off and clear it yeah. and all of that. Like, it's it's quite hard to keep things really secret. And it's, um, yeah. Although some withhold it. Star Wars now withholds some figurines to make sure that they don't give anything away. Like, I think... Um, because the, of what happened. Because of this <laughs> terrible event. Yeah, yeah. This is a real watershed moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we all learn from the great mistakes, don't we? Um, I think in uh, one of the Star Wars films, it again, this is going to be full of spoilers, um, this episode. So maybe only only the things released before like the financial crisis yeah. in 2008 so. uh, there was Ray, a character called Ray, oh, who yeah. and the figurine was holding a lightsaber which I believe gives away the fact that maybe she is a Jedi knight or master mm. um, yep. and you're not supposed to know that um, and so they withheld that smart right. Star Wars people until Clever. the film had been released um, and I, this is the thing I was most outraged I was looking at a list of um, things that Lego revealed in films and it, most of it was stuff like <laughs> come on who cares but in the first Shrek film you don't, you don't understand you don't understand film nerds <laughs> what do you mean who cares <laughs> it would literally be like oh this, this little thing revealed that there was a scene involving grass or this revealed that there were three family members anyway but in the first Shrek film mm. Burger King revealed release tie-in meal toys kids meal toys and there was a figurine and i've seen it and it has fiona the princess and it has her normal head with lovely pretty face and ginger Mm. hair and then if you spun it round it revealed her as an ogre now as we all know you don't learn that until the very end of the film yeah is that right it's a big twist yeah yeah i'm being very excited when i learned that you haven't seen Shrek? shrek no no oh yeah i think you should should I? Yeah, it's a good Well, one. I've oh, got God, a child. I probably will at some stage, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, on Lego, like, one thing I found really interesting is that if you have an idea for a Lego set, um, they might make it for you. Ooh, All you need is 10,000 supporters on lego.com, however it is. Uh, and then if you get 10,000 people to like your idea, then they'll review the idea and possibly make it. That's great. Mm. Um, so, so that's like the parliament thing, isn't it? If you get, or is it 100,000 people you need to, to sign a petition? Yeah, then, like They'll consider... Exactly. So yeah. they're not like, if we d- manage to get all of the fish fans to say we want to know six things a fish Lego, um, then it might get to a level, but they might just go, <laughs> well, no, we're obviously not making that. <laughs> could we... Could we... Could we ask all fish fans to make ask Parliament to make a Lego of fish? We could get 
Does Parliament ask, make Lego? No, but we could ask Parliament to put pressure on Lego to yeah, make could, the yeah, fish. Yeah. That feels I'm, like corruption of some sort. I don't like it. I feel like no, there's no money it. involved. Apart <laughs> from all the money we'll make from Lego. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. It's on this. No such thing as a fish Lego experience. It's going to be huge. Actually, there I is reckon. money involved because if it's your idea and you get 10,000 people and they make it, you get 1% of all the money that Lego makes wow. out of it, which is quite cool. All right, let's do it. I can't wait for the no such thing as a fish ride at Legoland. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Dan explain a fact slowly and correctly. <laughs> Uh, people in the front carriage may get covered in yogurt. <laughs> so they don't forget to pack your anus because <laughs> we're going to be pouring sugar all over it. <laughs> so God. they've made a central perk from Friends, but through this system, wow. uh, they've made a Seinfeld in general, like a Seinfeld Lego set. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and things that are not yet approved, but you can currently go on the Lego website and approve these if you like. Um, a pirate dentist currently um, a pirate say, dentist I think they would go say R oh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of a boating at boat face kind of entry isn't it yeah. it's just this one gag that shouldn't really be <laughs> yeah uh, the coronation of Charlemagne is currently there neat <laughs> it's really neat. going a long way from what kids want at this point isn't but it but there are so many um, adult Lego fans yeah. well, and Lego Affles. makers Affle this is, this is, and this is completely yeah. their fault this, the reason that, um, <laughs> that these stupid things happen where lots of sad adults tens of thousands of them sign these petitions for new Lego pieces okay, is well, because... well most of them might listen to podcasts too Anna so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I, I, I do obviously think it's very cool but um, it is Affles and they were a huge deal <laughs> and they used to get ignored you're going to get a brick thrown through your window <laughs> but it'll be a very tiny plastic one. <laughs> yeah, look out for that tiny, tiny window you've got in your flesh. <laughs> a little Lego Seinfeld banging on the door. Um, no, they. so they. there have always been adult fans of Lego and they got more and more vocal up mm. to the 90s and the early 2000s. And Lego, the company, thought they were quite annoying and uh, kept getting all these letters suggesting possible design ideas and actually put signs on their website and, you know, on their merchandise saying, we do not take ideas, oh, unsolicited really? ideas. Oh, wow. And, you know, uh, if you speak to people who worked at Lego at the time, they'd say it was so irritating. Adults were taking an interest in Lego and it wasn't meant to be for adults. And then they almost God. went bankrupt because uh, they started almost childifying Lego. So they'd they'd sell sets that were kind of almost completely made that were just for the play element rather than the build element. 2003, Lego was in serious trouble. And someone in the company said, guys, should we start listening to all these adult nerds? Yeah. And, disposable um, income. They did disposable mm. income. And they created an Afol engagement team the adult fans of lego engagement team Gosh. but was now there a they kind of summit where they were trying to bring bring in the affle the affles yeah there was actually well they lego went to one of these unofficial lego conventions and said okay guys we'll start listening to you that i guess that was their summit that was wow. their big did peace they go agreement in dis- did they go in disguise and sort of whip off the Ro- yeah. robes <laughs> and, <laughs> and it turns out it's like a massive lego minifigure <laughs> exactly reveal their yellow claw hands yeah. <laughs> there is a there is an app that was released last year uh it was not an official one but it was a lego app it was called brick it quite a good name mm-hmm. um and what it's for when you're nervous about something <laughs> terrified of your lego yeah yeah it's a therapy app um no it was it was you photograph your pile of lego with your smartphone camera and it will tell you what to build and it gives you instructions like it says you've got these pieces you can make Father Christmas out of Lego and it gives you instructions about how to do it and then if you see your you know this design and you think oh where's that red one that I need for the the hat or whatever you can't find it in your pile of Lego you go back to the photo you took that you scanned and it says look it's there it's there in the pile you idiot that's and it tells brilliant you, does this work for jigsaws <laughs> oh, I don't know. That would be good, wouldn't it? You it just be... scan it and it says this one goes here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I suspect that removes the main point of a jigsaw. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. I don't know, maybe this does too. But it's uh, yeah, it's, a, okay, it's pretty clever. It's a machine cool. learning yeah, style really thing. So no. yeah. there's yeah. a guy called Adam Beadle on YouTube, and he's made a machine. It's like a Pez dispenser for little Legos, <laughs> uh, and it's attached to a webcam. And the webcam is swivel, so it can move around. Okay. And the webcam can tell where you are. It can, it can recognize your socks, say, for instance. <laughs> and so it can kind of swivel around, look for your feet, and then fire Lego under your feet. <laughs> 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 so wherever you walk, you always stand on Lego. Was That's this invented by Kevin in Home Alone or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I wanted to build a machine learning app to find four leaf clovers. So you take a picture of a clover patch and it would say, yeah, here's the four leaf clover. And I spoke to a load of people about it and they said that actually for some reason artificial intelligence isn't very good at counting things. So it would be quite difficult because you've got to uh, recognize leaves coming from the same thing and then count how many of them. Right. So like there's a lot of these um, image generation AIs out there. You say, you know, draw me a picture of a bird with three legs or whatever, mm. and it'll draw this picture and it'll have like 17 legs or something. <laughs> no you know? way. I don't understand why, but it, it's an interesting wow. thing. That'd be the one basic. thing computers are good at counting. Yeah, yeah stuff, but, but not artificial intelligence mm. for some reason. There was, um, I remember reading years ago, there was a record for the most um, four-leaf clovers found in a certain area. Mm. And it was in a prison just outside London, I think. And all the prisoners had started finding four-leaf clovers because there'd been some genetic mutation. Or I think the clovers grow an extra leaf when there's some problem, like there's some acid in the soil. Crime. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it's just like... And did they all magically break out of prison the next day? <laughs> yeah. Their luck really turned. They're just not they? very lucky, are they? If they're in prison already, they've been caught. So, I mean, yeah. 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 yeah, that's really anyway. funny. Do you think it's still lucky if robots find your four-leaf clover? That feels yeah. like you're cheating. Mm-hmm. Luck no, I think, oh, I think it's fine. Okay. Okay, great. great. I think it's, <laughs> that's solved. I think it probably is still lucky. I don't know. It's, you can buy four-leaf clovers. Oh, well, that's, no, that's, that's, that's definitely not lucky. Yeah. Well, you can buy um, horseshoes. They're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> sorts of and they're so they're so hard to find in nature. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I thought yeah. they were unlucky if you hang them upside down. What? Yeah, but then everyone says they're supposed to be one way, and then everyone the other people say they're supposed to be the other way. That's no one yeah. can tell whether they're supposed to be the rounded right? bit down or the rounded bit up. Shaped like a U or like, shaped yeah. like the letter N or whatever. And it seems but- like different parts of the country have different things. So I have a horseshoe in my house, okay. but it's on its side. Because yeah, right. I thought that's bets. Ca- yeah, I mean, the bets. The place they're supposed to be is flat on the ground with a horse standing <laughs> on top of it. Like every, everything else is misplacing for those. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that one of the most environmentally friendly ways to catch scallops is to set up an underwater scallop disco. And lure them in with uh, sounds of the macarena. (laughs) Is that seafood based? I was desperately groping for any songs that might (laughs) be. I was going disco. Aqua. Aqua's quite disco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Aqua. Aqua would have been on, a good one. On topic. Barbie girl. Um, go on. So they like, um, they like disco music. <laughs> um, they do. Well, no, they don't. They like disco lights. Ah. Uh, and this is a press release from the University of York that I read. And it's about some work that they did with Fish Tech Marine, which is a fisheries company from Devon. And th- what they were trying to do is they were trying to put lights into crab and lobster pots. And they were hoping that they would catch a load of crabs and lobsters. But what they Why, actually they, did, caught, so did they think crabs and lobsters would be attracted by they the thought lights? they might be. Oh. But it turns out that crabs and lobsters they're more of going to the movies kind of animals. <laughs> they like jazz. Yeah, they yeah. like going to watch Indiana Jones at midnight. <laughs> um, and but actually, scallops they love the lights. They love the disco lights, and they yeah. kind of went down and looked at these pots that they were expecting to have crabs and lobsters in, and found just a billion scallops. It's so weird. And the interesting thing is that the current best way of catching scallops and when i say best way i mean most efficient way very much not the best way for the environment is to use dredges so you mm. loads of claws that go down to the bottom of the ocean and drag the bottom of the ocean and the scallops come up and you catch them from there and obviously this is not a sustainable way to catch seafood so because it, it drags up so much other stuff with it doesn't it it basically yeah. turns Coral over the seabed yeah. it's yeah. awful um but this could be a much better way of doing it by putting some disco lights down there <laughs> do you think because they have hundreds of eyes and yeah. do you think they love the disco lights because they've got so many eyes it's like going to a disco that's 500 times better than ours there is a suggestion that it might be that because most animals that live under the sea don't have great eyesight but they do have this these amazing 200 eyes and each of their eyes have two retinas one that uh, responds to light and one that responds to darkness and so they have this incredible complex sight um perhaps that's the reason that it that they're attracted to the lights we just we don't know to be honest but the fact is that it works and it could you know save the environment a little bit and most of the scallop that you see on your plate if you if you order a scallop in a restaurant yeah yeah you'll get a a, this this sort of white cylinder 
of mm. flesh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound as appealing. They are quite, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very delicious things. But That's kind of what a sausage is, isn't it? It's a cylinder of flesh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, just, they're the sausages of the sea. The nature sausage. <laughs> the nature sausage. <laughs> so that is not the whole scallop. That's not the whole animal. You know, that's just mm. the adductor muscle, which is this. So they have this incredibly powerful muscle that they use to open and close the shell. Yeah. And you're not eating the 200 beautiful <laughs> tiny yeah. eyes and the eyes are so small as well the, the eyes are the size of a poppy seed and each of their eyes is on its own tentacle nice. mm. oh isn't that cool nice. and they can yeah. kind of peer you know <laughs> kind of, mm, what's that over there <laughs> um yeah so each of their eyes because they have mirrors at the back of their eyes i think did you say that james uh, they've got, yeah, yeah, well, they've got two retinas right. and but each eye has a mirror which is made of millions of small square Tiles. It's weird because it's light. almost like a disco ball. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. They, so they are think they're the saying one of their own when they see the disco <laughs> ball. <laughs> but each. So okay, you're in the eye. You've got the mirror, which is made of millions of square tiles. But those mirrors are each made of twenty or thirty layers of a, a substance called guanine. Mm. And so guanine is one of the main ingredients of DNA, among other lots of other things. It is what gives fish their silvery tint sometimes on that, you know, that sort of gleamy tint. Yeah. That's what guanine, that's what you're saying. And it's also what chameleons use to change the colour of their skin. This one, really? this one chemical, yeah. this sort of, or, or substance. Yeah, it forms <laughs> crystals, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, in the skin of um, chameleons. Yeah. Oh, really? So cool. Wow. And that's what it's just scallops going around, you know. And they have growth rings like trees. Do they? Yeah. You can, you can tell the age of a scallop by its rings. Um, it's sad that you have to chop them down first, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, each, each ring on the their rings? shell. On the shell? It, okay. It's the rings that radiate out Outward. of the shell, as it were, um, obviously. So each ring represents a year of growth, unless apparently um, <laughs> it represents a stressful incident. So oh, really? it might be that they've had an incredibly stressful life, in which case they're going to seem much older than they are. Much like, like humans. humans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like uh, if they've got a lot of pressure at work or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a big yeah. report to hand in and they're <laughs> trying to raise a kid at the same time. Whatever. <laughs> they've been dredged. <laughs> <laughs> it is mostly the dredging. The stressful incident will usually be you're caught in a net and so you deposit an extra layer in your panic, Gosh. apparently. Wow. I, I read um, an article with some scientists who reckon that if we mass-produced oysters and mussels and scallops mm. and stuff then that could be the way to solve the world's nutrition problems oh. uh, and the main problem that they found is that most people don't like oysters and mussels oh. <laughs> even if you mass produce anything it's the answer to the yeah. world's nutrition problem <laughs> well the reason there's a few reasons and the okay. reason is because we have a lot of coastline which is suitable for it using just one percent of the available coastline we'd be able to get the protein for a billion people uh, bivalves have higher protein content than beef does uh, and they also have lots of key nutrients that we need so vitamin a they have iodine they have omega-3 they've got loads of stuff like that and the other thing is they've come up with this new way of feeding them with like little they call them bullets of nutrition so they it's a really cheap way of feeding the um the bivalves they make it using algae so it's very cheap to get as well but also you can put stuff in these little bullets so you can put flavorings in them you can put new, more nutrition in them what flavors do they like do yeah. they love sour flavors does it matter what they like or does, so, the does the flavor end up in them yes because <gasps> they filter feeders so because they filter feed they keep a lot of the chemicals inside themselves so you can put a little Sour Patch Kid flavor <laughs> into your muscle. And then when you eat it, you'll get all of this goodness, all of this protein. I... And you'll be able to... Um... You'll be able Chocolate to flavored oysters. have whatever flavor you want. I uh, don't want to rub an oyster on my anus, though. Is that <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to. <laughs> you you is, always you have to it. draw a line on a first date, don't you? That's... <laughs> I have a related story about hepatitis A. Oh, yeah. So there was, an outbreak, there was an outbreak of hepatitis A in the Netherlands. And mm. by sequencing the genome of the virus, they traced the outbreak back to Bangor in Wales. Okay. And n none of the people that got it in the Netherlands had been to Bangor in Wales. The family that had it in Wales didn't visit the Netherlands. Oh, okay. So this one family visited the Caribbean, where it's endemic, and they didn't take vaccinations. Family from Wales? Yeah, in Bangor. Okay. They came back to Bangor. They, they brought hepatitis A back to Bangor. And okay. they stayed at home because they knew they were ill. But they were going to the toilet a lot and they were shedding these um, virus particles huh. into the sewage system 
and by bad luck there was a lot of rain at the time and it overwhelmed the sewage system so it ended up in the estuary in Bangor okay right. which is a, a big mussel fishery Wow. We're all, all three of us looking at you thinking, how is this going to get to the Netherlands? <laughs> I, think I, I think I know that. I think you're probably already there, right? Yeah. The mussel fishery, is the yeah. Muscle fishery yeah. was the giveaway. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> and they're filter feeders. So the yeah. tide is moving in and out. This infected water is flowing back and forth over these filter feeders. Oh, they're gathering this, uh, these virus particles. We're harvesting them. We're selling them around the world. And that particular batch... A lot of it went to the Netherlands. That is incredible. That is, and all, that is also the downside of my plan of feeding the world with eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Because it just takes one family from Bangor yeah. and we're all fucked. And a rain and a downpour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, uh, in Poland, they use clams to automatically regulate their water systems. Oh. Or at least in, in, um, in Warsaw. So they, they have uh, these clams in a in a room somewhere but they've got water from the system flowing over them and if the clams shut it's because the water quality is low but they've got a little like lever attached to the the shell of the clam and so when it closes it hits a little button and automates Genius. the shutdown of the so we know the quality of the water in Botticelli's Venus was good because it was open <laughs> oh. she was standing up yeah. and if if dodgy water had entered that system, she would have been crushed. Slammed down on her. Yeah. Do you know why he had a scallop shell Botticelli in that painting? So it's a famous right. painting of Venus, and she's floating in on a seashell. Yeah, oh, yeah. Implausibly large one. Yeah. It's a giant. It. I think it was a giant clam. A giant no, I think she was tiny, wasn't she? Or? I think yeah. tiny. even yeah, yeah. giant clams aren't big enough to hold an entire woman. Entire Venus. <laughs> uh, but so why, why was it? A- well, it was based on um, a Spanish shrine of Saint James of Compostela. Uh, and St. James of Compostela was associated with the scallop. Um, few reasons may be why. One, because the scallop's lines represent the different routes traveled by pilgrims to go and visit his oh, remains. Pil- Santiago de Compostela is a pilgrimage. Exactly, that people yeah, do. It's this a- one. Yeah, yeah. it takes a month. Right. Uh, yeah. And also possibly because when they got the remains of St. James originally, they were covered in scallop shells because he was in the water. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> Why was he? Was he devoured? Is that how he was? He was eaten by scallops. Wow. Because one of them lands on you. You yeah. think, oh, that's oh, an irritation, but I can, I can deal with that. And then the Another second one. one lands, and then you see, you know, they're all fluttering to- through the water towards you. It'd be a terrifying horror movie. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's well it's the eternal great. would you rather question would you rather fight like one shark or a thousand scallops <laughs> anyway, one so, um, shark sized scallop or a <laughs> hundred scallop sized sharks yeah. okay it's time for our final fact of the show and that is Anna my fact this week is that scientists stupid scientists <laughs> still editorialising in the facts <laughs> never done it before I feel strongly about this one um, I'm still saying that climate change is real <laughs> <laughs> that's my fact over and out oh dear no my fact is that scientists still can't decide if hot water freezes faster than cold water Ooh. and it's true it's a thing called the Pemba effect if it's the case that hot water you know if you start freezing a glass of hot water and a glass of cold water mm. the Pemba effect is if the hot water freezes faster than the cold water and it's bizarrely complicated to test I think there are lots of problems with it so it's hard to define when freezing starts like is it when mm. certain crystals start to form is it when the whole thing freezes it's hard to identify when those crystals have started to form um, or is it when the temperature drops down to zero and anyway people have been saying for thousands of years that this is a phenomenon aristotle said it in 350 bc he said hot water freezes faster than cold people sort of forgot about it for hundreds of years so i think you know it was it was a thing with like francis bacon said it in the 17th century and then in the 1960s there was a tanzanian boy called erasto mpemba which is why it's called the mpemba effect who noticed it again mm. and we started studying it it's great it's, it's really great this this effect is it real though, Andy? <laughs> Does it exist? I, um, I'll say yes. Well, in order for it to work, right, when the hot water is freezing, it must at some stage overtake the cold water. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. For that to be true. But that means that when those two waters are at the same temperature, the one that was previously hot must somehow remember that it was hot. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so that was the big thing um, that they've <laughs> discovered that they have proved that it's possible in general for a system 
to behave in this way like in a really abstract sense you can have a system that you know is approaching some equilibrium point approaching some temperature and it's possible in general that if you are further away from that point you can get there quicker right. but they haven't shown it specifically for water it's the tortoise and the hare i think of it as being like if you have to heat the oven to 180 degrees yeah you can if it was frozen it to, and you started from frozen it would be quicker <laughs> no, that's not that's not what i do i will put it to 250 degrees right. so that it has to get a I think it thinks <laughs> I better get a move on <laughs> I've got to rush and then, very and different then, to what when it, actually is happening. To, when it gets to 180 you just pop it back down and the light goes off and you've met, you've saved time. No, you, you, you know you're definitely wasting your time when you do that because of, because of the way ovens work, right? I, I have a hunch that my oven knows there's okay. pressure. He needs to get. The, okay, the, right. it's I the do way exactly that Andy the same. Works with deadlines. Isn't it? it's the same. <laughs> I am exactly the same as you. You know, every time with the oven, I know it's completely logical. Obviously, it makes no bit a difference. But I do. If you're in a rush, you put it on as hot as possible. It's not going to make a difference how long it takes to get to 100 degrees. Anyway, that is completely unrelated to the impending <laughs> So well, just agree to disagree. Okay. Um, just to get back to the point of like, how yeah. can it remember mm. what yeah. it did? And there are various ways. Like, for example, you know, it might be that the hotter water freezes from the outside first. So you've got this structural difference. Mm. You've got this casing of ice mm. around like an unfrozen center whereas that doesn't happen with the other ones so there, so could, be a difference. there could be an actual mechanism yeah like of accelerating towards freezing one point. idea mm. is there might be more eddy currents in it which mm. somehow mm. causes mm. it to freeze quicker and they, those eddy currents remain after that transition mm. so point what, has happened. sort of mini whirlpools yeah is an eddy current basically. one idea yeah. is that cold water might super cool so it's um has to go to a lower temperature before it freezes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about Erasto Mpemba, the, yeah. the yeah. student who the thing is named after? So he did it. He um, discovered this effect. If it's real, and clearly opinion varies around the table, but it's a, <laughs> he was making ice cream. He was 13 years old, and he was at school making ice cream. And his method was you boil the milk to make it with, you mix it with the sugar, you put it in the freezer bit of the fridge. Um, but there was a rush for fridge space. He had boiled his milk already, but he saw another boy run to the fridge without boiling the milk and shove his milk and thing in there so he and the other boy put their milk and sugar mixes into the freezer at the same time i think it was was it not that the other boy let his milk cool down first and then put it in whereas he put it in while it was boiling yeah you do have they, to boil it they first. basically they put two trays of mm. milk and sugar in at the same time one of the his was boiling yeah. hot and the others was already cooled and when he and the other boy went back his tray had frozen into ice cream the other boys hadn't frozen into ice cream ha. it's proved um <laughs> and he took he took a situation to a physics lecturer at his school called dennis osborne and they co-wrote a paper which was just called cool which i love <laughs> he was like, well actually he first of all took the situation to his teacher who said you're an idiot um, that doesn't happen he got so, really slagged off he got yeah. told when, so he asked this teacher about a question about it and the teacher said that is mpemba's physics and not the universal <laughs> physics and this became like a running joke at his school every time oh. there was a mistake he would be told that is Mpemba's mathematics, if he made a maths error. And anyway, Mpemba's name has now been remembered, and the teacher who took a mickey out of him, his name is now dust. So, dead in the water. Yeah. Um, do you know, by sheer coincidence, um, when Mpemba discovered this thing about hot water, his effect, um, there was a Canadian scientist called Dr. Kell, who at pretty much exactly the same time wrote a paper saying the same thing. It really? having not been mentioned for over huh. a century, oh. he discovered the same God, thing. That's one of those weird things, isn't it? Mm. Like the Dennis the Menace thing, yeah. when two Dennis the Menaces were created. Yeah. Well, Hey? That's a cool fact. Yeah, yeah, the same week, a Dennis Menes was created in America as there was in in Britain, wow. and they were quite. So they were both young schoolboys. Really Isn't yeah. that called morphic resonance? Isn't well, that, a that is interesting. That, that, <laughs> that sounds like bullshit. So well, that's that's Sheldrake's idea, morphic resonance, and that's the idea that he he said it was <laughs> in the seventies. There was a few blue tits that learned how to peck. Um, into milk bottles yes. and then suddenly within a week everyone had noticed that in the whole country all these blue tits were learning how to do it and he thought there was some kind of special psychic way that all of these animals had managed to learn stuff so I was I was trying to explain morphic resonance to someone last night oh yeah and I, but I couldn't remember what the example was of the and the blue tits and the milk bottles is a really good one yeah. and I misremembered it as so you know cattle grids this is real this is real yeah. so well you're, what you, I'm about to say is real <laughs> <laughs> I remembered that 
cows had learned to roll uh, over cattle grids. You're so <laughs> close. You're so and close. That, that would, like, within three weeks of each other, cows across the planet were rolling yeah, across yeah, cattle yeah. grids. And, uh, you're really close, but it's sheep. Uh, and sheep had learned how to roll across them. And it. again, there was lots of anecdotal evidence from different farmers that that had Suddenly. happened. But no one, even in the world of smartphones, no one has ever been able to video this actually happening. So. <laughs> yeah, they're not idiots. They're, they're, very they're, they're not going to do it in front of people with smartphones, for God's sake. Oh, wow. So I, I got closer than I, I feel like a cow, once it's halfway across rolling across a cattle grid, probably won't be able to get the rest of the way along. Yeah, I cannot believe you confused those because the idea of a cow rolling across. <laughs> anything is I don't know if it can happen yeah it does yeah. explain why whereas you can roll a sheep easily can't that. you you can, you can roll a sheep <laughs> but can, <laughs> a, can a sheep roll itself though that's mm. the question that's yeah. the big question you can tip a cow but you can roll a sheep and that's how I tell the difference between sheep and a cow <laughs> <laughs> that's why your farming career went downhill yeah. <laughs> so. um, I also have an effect named after me Wow. Really? The mold effect. <laughs> the mold effect. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. you're just talking about molding. No, no, no. I, I uh, made a video about this thing that I accidentally discovered, uh, which I assumed had already been discovered, but I couldn't find anything about it on the internet. If you get a chain of beads, bead chain like the type you see at the side of blinds that you, you yeah. used to open, oh, yeah. uh, get about 50 meters of it, feed it into a pot, uh, and then take the end of it and allow it to fall out of the pot. The whole pot empties which is already known and understood. But what yeah. happens is it rises above the pot first. It's really oh, cool. It sort of I rears up. I've seen it yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the further it has to fall, the higher it goes. I got it to go uh, two and a half meters out of the pot. Wow. What um, by dropping it back 90 meters. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a long story, but I was making a video about uh, polymers. There's a polymer called polyethylene oxide. If you make a solution of it and start to pour it out of the beaker, it all pours out. It's uh, self-pouring polymer. Mm. You don't have to tip the whole thing up. It all just comes out in one go. I wanted to make a physical model of that. I'd seen it done with plastic beads before, mm. a chain of beads. It, it all, the, the beads self-siphon, but it doesn't rise up if you use plastic beads. I thought I'll use metal beads because it'll look nicer. Mm. And I discovered this thing that, that goes Wouldn't up it be it amazing if that so effect cool. which you described then becomes very important in something else? It would like, be amazing. And then in a billion years' time, everyone's like, did you know that the person <laughs> yeah. who the mold effect was named after was once on a podcast? No. <laughs> yeah, some idiot. Um, that to be able to prove that part of the explanation it'd be amazing to see the beads moving in zero gravity and so I put a call out is there any way to get the beads on the International Space Station and it's happened no oh, really? way yeah the beads went up in a rocket I think it was in May and uh, this commander, year? yeah, Commander wow. Samantha Cristoforetti has the beads. She hasn't done the experiment yet. <gasps> She's got a lot on. Probably. She's busy, yeah. but um, she will do it at some point. What if it wrecks the ISS? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, they get loaded with so much crap. I always feel sorry for yeah. them. Yeah. 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 This is a very important. What are you talking about? Wow, wow, wow. Look, the old mold effect. Obviously, it's going to be groundbreaking. But I always think with astronauts and NASA, it's like, oh, what? I have to put this weird plant on for this yeah. kid, this bloke, when we're trying to bring up his experiments. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was looking at some experiments that I could try at home um, and as I mentioned a few times got a new baby um, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau thought that <laughs> <Where's this going? laughs> he thought that humans were fundamentally good as children uh, and any kind of evilness in humans was all society corrupting people and so there was a guy called Richard Lovell Edgeworth and he was the guy who invented the conveyor belt uh, and <laughs> what have you done, James? <laughs> he also thought that he would try and raise his son, uh, who was called Richard Jr., um, to be like Russo said and be permanently good. So he wouldn't let him get involved in society, just let him run around in the yeah. in the garden and stuff. Uh, anyway, by the age of eight, he had become what Edgeworth described as an ungovernable child of nature. <laughs> and he had to ship him off to a seminary. <laughs> What, what? He's just sort of gone God. savage. He's or... just gone savage, wow. yeah. Wow. Uh, and there was another psychologist called Clarence Luber. Uh, and <laughs> Clarence thought that children uh, only laughed when they're tickled because their parents laugh. So the idea right. is okay, I yeah, tickle yeah, yeah. my daughter mm -hmm. and the, my daughter laughs, but she's only laughing because I'm enjoying it so much. And sure. basically tickling is, is a learned thing. And so um, he invented some cardboard shield masks that he would, <laughs> him and his wife would wear every time oh that they God. tickle their child <laughs> in the hope that the child would never learn how to laugh when tickled. Uh, but what, by the wow. time the child was seven months old, it was still laughing whenever it was tickled. Um, but he thought that his 
hypothesis was still true and maybe his wife was not fully observing the tickling rule. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame, blame your poor wife had been right into this weird man can't yeah. mask tickle experiment. Your child's terrified of both of you yeah. at this stage. Darling, we have a tickling protocol. <laughs> <laughs> my, my ad hoc hypothesis about laughing and tickling which means it's just an idea that I've got, is that it's a way to teach self-defense through play. So uh, the, 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 oh. um, the sensation of being tickled is unpleasant, right? Mm-hmm. So if kids just oh. cried when you tickled them, you wouldn't do it. But they laugh. And so as a parent, you think, oh, I've got to make them laugh. It's, it's so amazing. It feels so good to make my kids laugh. See, and you think about where you tickle kids, it's in those vulnerable places mm. uh, uh, where you could get hurt, right? In the, the neck, armpits. The armpits. So I think it's this way of like encouraging parents to do a thing to their kids that they actually don't really enjoy, but it's it's a, it's a form of learning self defense. Are you this. saying it's like the sensation of being attacked by a wild animal, <laughs> yes. and you're kind of yeah. so you're not very good at self defense when you're being tickled, are you? Because I've never successfully fought off a tickle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, I wasn't tickled enough oh, yeah, to learn. You have yeah. to go for the you have to go for the eyes uh, <laughs> yeah. and the crotch. And that's, yeah. you know, Fish hooking and eye gouging are the main. <laughs> One th- one theory about the tickling is that it's like if insects are getting on you, like poisonous insects, and it's to, oh, the yeah. reason that it's unpleasant and the reason you want to stop it is because in the olden days before iPads, yeah. it, you might have been in the Serengeti and there were dangerous insects climbing on you. Yeah, but, but, it's, but, but that makes sense. But, but why the laugh? But it's not though? funny. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, <laughs> not for you. I mean, it's funny for everyone else in the in the camping trip. I think I the same argument then about it being a protection. It's a defense thing. Yeah. So we're teaching Wait, our children why would you laugh to defend de- themselves. Why would you laugh as a defense? No, you defend yourself. You're trying to stop. You're physically you're, defending you're yourself. You're wiggling. No, no, but yeah. why the laughing? Like you want, I to understand. Encourage, to tickled, you're obviously <laughs> fighting off. But to encourage like, the parents. I get the. I love stimu- the parents theory. <laughs> <laughs> to stimulate the child uh, so that they defend themselves Except against parents. insects. So tickling. So the, no, hang on, we've got it. So <laughs> it's for the the child laughs to make sure the parent keeps on yeah, yeah. tickling the child to encourage the child to learn how to fight off no, no, an I got, insect I got all that. swarm that was Steve's years. explanation I completely <laughs> understood minute, that so although it's the parent being an idiot because all parents remember being tickled as kids and yeah. what they remember is this was hell yeah. don't inflict this on your child so yeah. what you're saying Anna is that my experiment where my house is full of dangerous hornets <laughs> <laughs> and I release them every time I tickle my daughter this is not a good idea <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us about any of the things that we've said, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. Steve. At Mold S. And Anna. You can email our podcast at qi.com. Also, do be sure to check out Steve Mold's YouTube. He is to be found on YouTube. If you search for Steve Mold, you will find him. And he and his colleagues from the Festival of the Folk and Nerd have a brilliant podcast called A Podcast of Unnecessary Detail. So check that out too. If you'd like to go to nosuchthingasafish.com, you will find details of all of our previous episodes. You will find tickets for the tour dates we've got coming up. There's a tour date we're streaming live to the world, so wherever you're hearing this, you can get a ticket for that. It's going to be great fun. And you can also find the portals for our brand new members area, which is called Club Fish. We're going to be putting so much stuff in there. You can get ad-free versions of the regular show. There are going to be things like Drop Us a Line, which is a section where we cover all the amazing, wonderful correspondence that you guys have sent in. There are going to be compilations every month of all the funny outtakes and bonus stuff that hasn't been in the regular show. You can join up. All you need to do is go to nosuchthingasafish.com and all the details are there. Check it out. Okay, that's it. We'll see you next week for another episode of this. We'll see you then. Goodbye.